0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about your property taxes. A number of city councillors, now that budget meetings have started, have said we're not good with the 4% increase that has been proposed. We want, we expect 0% increase. One of them is Judy Partridge, who will be joining me to talk about that. We're also going to be chatting with Don Robertson, lots of stuff to talk about, including coaching, including Mike Tyson. Should a former NHL tough guy get in the ring with Mike Tyson, or would that be lunacy? Well, we'll talk
1: about it. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Last week, if you were with us, you heard the mayor of Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger, here on the show discussing the opening day, the opening moves of the city council budget talk sessions. I mean, this is going to go on for months, but it's to determine what you're going to pay in property taxes and what services the city is going to have and a bunch of other things. It's all tied into the finances of the city. And it's a it's a remarkably challenging situation this year. And it's always tough, but it's really difficult this year because COVID has thrown, as it has with everything, has thrown some wrenches into the gears of budgeting, plus the usual increases and other demands that arise. And so staff has come back, and some of you have heard this already. Again, if you were listening last week, you know this, so forgive me for the repeat. But staff has come back with an opening position that a 4% property tax increase will be necessary just to maintain the status quo, just to keep services where they are, 4%. But at least a couple of counselors, and maybe more than that, said last week they are hoping that 4% is not what, where we should be going. Hoping for a 0%, no tax increase this year. One of them is Ward 15 counselor Judy Partridge, who joins me now. Councillor, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it.
2: Oh, no problem, Scott. And happy Monday to you. Always happy to talk to your listeners.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Um, and a lot of people, I'm sure, uh, the listeners and others were thrilled to hear you say 0% tax increase. Those are like the dreams that people have, especially these days. Uh, why do you take that position?
2: Well, I got to be honest with you, Scott. It wasn't a polite request. It, I'm absolutely adamant about it. Um, and and just to just to clarify, you know what? Every year we start the budget process. Usually we start the end of September we're a little bit later this year because of COVID. Um, so, you know, we're, we're at the end of October, beginning of November, and coming forward with the initial 4%. So last year, we were, I believe, actually at 5.2 or 5.6% in exactly the same position. And we ended up whittling it down to around 2%. So, you know, we got a long way to go. But um as far as I'm concerned, uh, this has been a really challenging year. Uh, in fact, I think challenging is just a little too nice <laughs> to put it because people yep. are suffering, and uh, we did, we just there's no way four percent is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it with me, and it's not going to cut it with a lot of our listeners.
0: There is a difference, though, and and again, I think a lot of people are nodding vigorously right now, saying that's fantastic, but there is a difference between 4% and 0%. Mm-hmm. Is it feasible to get right down to 0%?
2: Well, what it means is, um, to put it in perspective, every percent represents about $9 million in savings. So in order to get to um, you know 3%, you've got to find... Nine million dollars to bring it down from four percent to three percent, eighteen million dollars to bring it from four percent down to two percent, etc. It's not easy, and and you got to remember we are talking about I think we're at about one point six to one point nine billion with a B billion dollar uh, budget.
0: Well, okay, let's go through a couple of the challenges here um, that obviously is going to be faced because, you know, again, uh, and I keep repeating myself, I think a lot of people would love this, but we do have to also look at what is going to be facing council and staff when they do this. And the first one, and the mayor mentioned this when he was on the other day, Mm -hmm. is that there are, due to negotiated raises with unions and with other staff, there is 2% that just covers the raises that are waiting for people to take on coming into the next year. Is there a way to postpone those or would you have to then find the equivalent of 2% of cuts to offset that to take it back to the zero?
2: So let me unpack that a little bit because we're talking about union contracts. Our union contracts are in a four-year cycle. We've made that commitment And, you know, quite honestly, um, yes, the 2% is what we were able to negotiate. Now, to be fair, I, first of all, you know, I think people need to know that union contracts are not easy to negotiate. I want to say how much I appreciate staff and the negotiators um, and and all our employees for coming in at that 2%, because it could have been a lot higher and in some cases it has been. So, yeah, but I think this is the year, if ever there was a year to tighten our belt, this is the year. Uh, And, you know, I just, I wasn't going to wait until December or wait until January to come out of the reeds and say, oh, why don't we look at 0%. It's a starting point. And, you know, we, we, we have to be able to look at what are our hard costs the other thing is too that uh, I want to say thank you so much to the federal government and to the provincial government. The provincial government has done an amazing job of negotiating and being able to get COVID funding under um, control and giving it to the municipalities as they need it. Hamilton has benefited greatly and for that you know we are truly appreciative.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Kelcer, just before the break, you used the line that we, we have to tighten our belts. And I, I just wonder what that means. Are you open to the idea of cuts to things if that's what needs to happen to get down to zero percent?
2: Well I think we have to explore every option on the table. And and Scott, you know, I'm I'm out every day in the ward. I'm talking to businesses, I'm talking to to our residents and it this has been an unprecedented tough year. There is no getting around it. Um, But, you know, we have to look at everything. That's my view. And I will tell you that um, when I put the, uh, you know, the 0% motion forward, it was was well supported by council that that's where we're going to start from.
0: I don't know if it's even legal, um, but is it possible or would you consider going to the unions who have these negotiated raises for this year and saying, because of the word you use, unprecedented, Mm -hmm. would you consider holding off on this raise for a year or two until we come out of this mess?
2: I think anything is on the table right now, but I have to tell you, you know, staff have not been sitting at home twiddling their thumbs, if anything. The, the whole COVID-19 situation has ramped up the workload for all of us. I, I cannot tell you how how much our workload has doubled. And, you know, those those that we needed to, um, uh, you know, put on to other jobs during COVID, because, you know, we do have two long-term care facilities and cleaning, everything has been ramped up. Um, So I'm not on for penalizing anybody, but if we have to go and look at services that we need to cut, but I, you know, again, I will say that um, we have staff who take a look at everything that we do. They are finding efficiencies every day. Mm. And for the last 10 years that I've been in, they have been able to come to the table. Part of the Part of the, um, you know, Flamber Downs, for example, normally they contribute $4.5 million, which goes right into the coffers for the entire city and helps bring our, our, our costs down. Well, you know what? Flamber Downs has been affected. They've been closed. Um, they don't have the same revenue coming forward. So that is going to impact us. We have all these different sources of revenue that have now been impacted. And that's well, what we have to look at.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, look, every counselor is a human being with different positions and different opinions and you sit around the table. And while many may like the idea and many may support the idea legitimately, when it comes to actually choosing what things may be able to be trimmed or cut, that's when you start getting into difficulties because everyone's got different priorities.
2: Well, I will say, Scott, that our counselors around the table, all of us work really well together and the one thing we do i think collectively have a focus on is what's good for our residents and there are people out there who will disagree with that statement well so be it but i will tell you that the majority of us we are looking at how could we best help our residents if, if someone can't pay their taxes they can't pay their taxes there's no if ands or buts mm. about it if they're not working if their business is, is going under, if they have to claim bankruptcy, my big concern right now is that we are going to see uh, bankruptcies throughout the next four or five months that are going to be unprecedented. And we have to be there for our residents. We absolutely have to be there to help them.
0: The other real fly in the ointment, and it's unique because it's a COVID thing, is the, the report, the first budget report that came out that, you, that counselors were given last week suggests that because of COVID loss of user fees or transit fees or whatever, you could be looking at, I think it was 38 to $56 million short next year, mm-hmm. which in 2022 then, depending on what the higher levels of government did, you may have to find that money. That's already a huge hole. And then if things are put off this year to try and get the budget down, I mean, this is where it's so complicated. That means that in 2022, we'd get slapped with a giant wallop, which I, I I mean, I don't know if you can look that far ahead or if you have to balance that into the equation.
2: Well, we have to look that far ahead. You know, being a city councillor is not for the faint of heart, but we are here and we have been elected to make the decisions. And sometimes those are really tough decisions and we can't do it in isolation of just, you know, one year at a time or small pockets of uh, of tax increases or funding uh, I believe very strongly that we need to look at projected increases projected budgeting and and the city has gone to um, more than just a yearly budget we are looking at uh, incorporating budgets down the road so that we have an idea of where we need to spend our money whether it's capital or whether it's operational because they are two separate budgets but they do come together at the end of the day so, you know, I, I just believe very strongly that uh, we need to keep an eye on everything that's coming down in the future. If we put it off this year, 2021 is going to be difficult. 2022 is going to be more difficult. So, you know, w- we have in front of us what we have in front of us right now. Let's deal with it and let's not put it off to next year and the year after.
0: Let me, let me throw one other thing about that. And and we're short on time, sadly, but um, the fact that 2022 or 2021 Well, next year, doing the budget for 2022 could be so difficult if things don't go all that well, and we don't know. Uh, I don't have to remind you, 2022 would be an election year. Mm -hmm. Do you think that makes councillors skittish about putting things off till then because of the possibility you could have to go to the polls with a larger tax increase?
2: I think whether it's an election or it's not election, we have to stay focused on what is best for our residents. It's not what's best for us to get reelected. It is what is best for our residents. And they are hurting. They are hurting now. And if they're hurting now, they're going to be hurting next year. On the other side of that, though, I do see there are some amazing things happening within our economy. We still have lots of businesses moving into Hamilton. There is still building going on. My goodness, I can't believe that we're still well over a billion dollars in permit values coming into the city of Hamilton, and we're at November now. So we're going to finish off this year, and I think that's going to be the eighth year straight that we have had unprecedented uh, permit values coming coming into the city. So, you know, we can't forget that other side of the equation. It's not all doom and gloom, but it has to be balanced off.
0: Ward 15 Councillor Judy Partridge, uh, always appreciate your time. Thanks for taking a few minutes tonight.
2: Thanks so much, Scott. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: So there you go. I mean, look, if if you are one of those people who is hoping for nowhere near 4% tax increase and honestly, who among us wants that high? um, Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. There are councillors there who are saying, no, not going to happen. How we get to not making it happen? Well, that's the nuts and bolts that we still have to watch, but touching
1: wood. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We bring in Don Robertson, who is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoy's Hockey Club, when and if it ever operates again, and he runs Calm Choice Realty, which is operating again because of the real estate market these days in this area, and he is uh, involved in many, many, many other things around town, and a guy who um, occasionally has an opinion on stuff. Don, how are you tonight? i good scott how are you i am uh, i'm doing well not loving the cold weather from the weekend i'm not ready for that kind of cold yet but um, otherwise all is well
3: it was just a little sample it's gonna be nice the rest of the week i think afternoon tomorrow we'll be fine Give away be golfing again
0: i hope so because my neighbors right now don think i'm and our family is insane because our pool is still open um, not by, not, not intentionally. We, we went in months ago to get a new winter pool cover ordered and thanks to COVID, it still hasn't arrived. And so our pool is still, still open and there's flurries and snow coming down. And I, I don't know if oh. they think we're going in it again or what, but, um, at least the heater's not on. We're not, we're not heating up the whole outdoors. We're not turning it into a giant that, hot tub. That would cost a few
3: bucks. No, but. That'd be expensive. And you might have a little trouble getting at it based on the pool sales and everything else.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, we just look like we're insane with the neighbors. That they're. I'm sure they're looking out their back windows, going, "What are they doing? Why are they not closing that stupid pool?" And it's like, yeah, I know. I, I keep calling the place saying, "Where's our pool cover?" But, COVID, as always, everything is COVID.
3: Um, well, it's better than having them look in the backyard and saying, "See, I told you he was crazy."
0: Well, they know that. They know that. I, okay. I you know, there's, there's, there's been plenty of evidence over the years. <laughs> Uh, Don, this this news came across not that long ago, and I find this hilarious, um, especially for you as a guy who's been a coach. And we've talked about coaches before on the show. The Blue Jays manager, Charlie Montoyo, has been named as a finalist for the American League Manager of the Year. Uh, I thought, quite frankly, that there were a lot of things that he did that were goofy rather than inspiring and and helpful. I'm not sure that he really helped the Jays this year, but nonetheless, he's a finalist. The other two finalists for Manager of the Year, Kevin Cash from Tampa, the guy who literally gave away the World Series with his decision to pull his starting pitcher in Game 6, and Rick Renteria from the White Sox, who was fired (laughs) two weeks ago and replaced by Tony LaRussa. Um, I'm not entirely sure what this says about either the crop of managers in the American league or what the voters were looking at, but um, this may be the most ridiculous crop. Whoever wins this is uh, maybe in my mind, the least deserving manager in the history of managers.
3: Well, the guy in Tampa had a, so if it's based on regular season, it It has a pretty good run. The guy in Chicago apparently, according to Rand, Randorf, what's his name? Uh, the owner had a bit of a poor year, so yep. he hired uh, Tommy Larusa because Billy Martin wasn't available.
0: Um, <laughs> That's the only guy older. You're right. Yeah. And Sparky Anderson.
3: <laughs> Sparky Anderson. But the uh, Tampa Bay had a pretty good year. I, I'm not convinced, unless the bar was so low for the Blue Jays, it didn't take much to make yourself look good. I... I, I don't recall a lot of people thinking that um, any of the success the Blue Jays had this year was going to be attributed to the manager. But So, based on that quick analysis, I'd say the guys that are picking them are nuts.
0: I Again, I mean, you're right. I heard almost no commentary this year. And, you know, I have my opinion. But then you also, you know, I trust a lot of the people who... Cover the Jays and the writers and the the broadcasters. I you know they're not idiots. I I think many of them do an exceptionally good job. And I rarely heard rave reviews about Charlie Montoyo. More, more often than not, he seemed to be just a guy who was wearing the uniform and walking out there to make some changes occasionally. But I, rarely did you hear people say, "Man, the Jays won this game because Charlie Montoyo managed his butt off." That, that that just well that's...
3: yeah. There's a lot of people think that he just does what the general manager and the president tell him to, right? So who really is the, the manager? It's, um, those situations are always interesting. I mean, I know you have talked about analytics before and made mention the fact that Cash may have cost him the World Series. I, I've heard that several times. I find that to be a bit rich because he may have cost him game six, but he may not have cost him the World Series. It's not like you know, they were on the cusp of winning the thing, but they, they were certainly in pretty good shape and it doesn't speak well of, uh, analytics, that's for sure.
2: And well, they and, may uh, have won again,
3: it LaRousse in Chicago. They may have, but I don't think it cost them. It, well, it may have cost them a chance. I mean, to frame it like a it costume, you would think that he did some boneheaded move, you know, in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning of the world series game seven, but you're right. He, uh, That move likely eliminated any chance they could win it.
0: Well, let's put it this way. You've coached coached hockey for a long time. You get into overtime and your goalie has a shutout. It's 0-0 in overtime and your goalie has stopped 55 shots and you decide, you know what, I think he's fatigued. I'm going to put in my backup. And the backup promptly gives up a goal on his first shot. And you go, yeah, that cost us. I mean I don't think anyone would say otherwise that that didn't cost us. I mean, it, sometimes you can manage oh. yourself out of out of contention and I think he cost them the World Series for that reason. They may not have won, but they absolutely weren't going to win with that kind of move.
3: No, no, it, it 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 sure sure cost them a chance to win it. I, I no doubt about that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and and it baseball's a funny game, who knows. I don't sure left the his arm fell off though. Because Last the guy they were the they, yeah. giving up giving up like it's not like he was bringing in um tom hankey right or dwayne ward i mean this guy was not a sure thing holy crap anyway no not
0: at all not not even close and, and you know this this goes back to something else that i that i saw watching little nfl football yesterday a little pregame show and i rarely watch the pregame shows but um I happened to catch a few minutes, and Rex Ryan, who, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I really think about Rex Ryan's coaching career. It was long. He coached a lot of teams. Um, not sure I consider him a great coach, but he certainly that knew how long. to do a good interview. He, he certainly could get hired, if nothing else. He had a, what I thought was a really interesting line. They were talking about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and this, Don, has been the discussion from the start of the year Did Tom Brady make Bill Belichick or did Bill Belichick make Tom Brady or was there some combination of the two? Because they've gone their separate ways, obviously. Brady is playing tonight as Tampa plays the Giants. The Patriots played yesterday and lost to the Bills. And Rex Ryan said, this is, quote, because Tom Brady, for those who aren't following it, is having a much, much, much better year than Bill Belichick is. It just shows also that the greatest player in the game has a lot bigger impact than the greatest coach in the game. You agree with that?
3: Sometimes, Um, boy, that's – in this particular case, there's no evidence other than that's the truth. But I find the argument with Brady and Belichick this. They probably both recognized that the, the greatness and the talent and everything was coming to a close. This year was going to be a hard year. Brady, because he's the player, certainly had the opportunity to pick a team, you know, with the most potential that would fit his abilities to go to. And Belichuk had to stay with the New England Patriots. And had Belichuk been able to say, look, if things aren't going well, pick a team you want to go to, it would be a better measure of which one was more important Um, Let let me put it this way. I have seen teams with the best player in the game not win, and I've certainly seen some good coaches with above-average teams win. So to use the analysis of today with Brady and Belichick, of course, Brady looks like an all-star. Belichick didn't have any choice. He either had to quit or try and rebuild and try and make the best he could of a team that they probably both knew weren't going to be that good.
0: I would like this to be true. I would I would like this to be true. I think it would be fantastic if we could always say the best player has much more of an impact than the coach, even the best coach. I would love for that to be true because I you and I, you know, I've talked to you about this before. I would love it if coaches didn't have as much of an impact on sports. However, I just can't believe that because even though Tom Brady right now is doing really, really well and Tampa is doing well and he looks great, all it would take would be for their coach uh, in Tampa to make some goofy decisions and play some different guys or call some different plays or whatever else and suddenly Tom Brady looks bad. So The coach can control even the greatest player in, in many sports, not in every sport, but certainly in football he can.
3: Oh, I agree. I mean, I'll tell you, in any coach any team I've coached or any t- team I, uh, I might coach, uh, I would never say I don't want the best player in the game on the team. Right? I mean, that's that's a pretty good asset. Then your challenge is make everybody around him better, and hopefully he makes people around him better. But there's lots of evidence that, well, look at hockey, look at basketball. look I mean, look at almost any sport. The team that has the best player, they – they they don't often win championships.
0: You know, you can argue that uh, what happened in, in Toronto. Now, obviously, the Leafs didn't end up winning the Cup when Mike Babcock was dismissed. But you could argue that Mike Babcock affected the Leafs. A lot of people believe that he did, that you, by misusing players or not using players enough, you have the control... Um, You have the control over players playing time and who they play with and where they play and do they get power play time and all these things that can impact whether or not your best player has the kind of impact that he possibly could have. I mean, imagine, go back to the 80s and imagine if Glenn Sather had said, you know what, Wayne? Um, Yeah, I know you can score, but we really need you to work on your two-way game and be a defensive forward first and foremost. And then, you know, just take the opportunity to score when it comes.
3: Yeah, that's, uh, well, good coaches just let, well, say they're just open the door and let them go. And, you know, when you talk about Mike Babcock, there's a lot of people that think Mike Babcock may have been the best hockey coach in the world during his tenure in Toronto, probably including Mike Babcock. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there was arguments that he was the best available coach for the National Hockey League. And he didn't make the Toronto Maple Leafs a winner. They never won a playoff round.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, now again, the Leafs haven't won after letting him go. They didn't win a playoff round. So it's hard to argue that, you know, it was entirely Mike Babcock's fault, but there were a lot of people that said, again, you look at the impact of coach versus superstar and the coach always is going to have the final say. So when Rex Ryan says the, the, the greatest player has a much bigger impact on a game than the greatest coach, um, you know, uh, until the players get all the say, I mean, look, even in ba- even in basketball, when you say that's a player's league, that's a player's league. The, you put five guys on the court, and if you have two superstars, they can generally do pretty well and just put three decent players around them. Look at, you know, any team that's won lately with a couple of great players. But what if the coach says, you know what, LeBron, um, you've been playing too much. we got to keep you fresh. You're only going to play 15 minutes a night best player in the game suddenly the coach will always end up having the last say in the upper hand and you know and now frankly all the examples that I've given have been coaches messing things up I haven't given examples yet of coaches that have made mediocre guys into superstars and that that happens too but again that goes to my idea that I I think we I think we simplify it too much by saying that the best player is always going to be more impactful than the best coach I'm not I don't necessarily agree with that at all
3: I uh, no I it's it, I think and it depends on on the, it probably depends on the player it, to a certain extent it's, it really depends on the sport because basketball have like a dozen guys right five on the court at the same time hockey have 20 guys five on yeah, the base at the same
0: time but even then don the coach gets the say of who is on the floor and so even if you've got the best players if you don't play them the coach has the final say that can either make you better or neuter for lack of a better term the best player the coach is is ultimately and well, he may get fired for that you sit lebron james for all but 10 minutes of a game for no good reason chances are you're not going to have a long coaching career but i was just going to address that i was going to say i can help you with that lebron james decision that guy that guy at the end of the
3: game he just goes to his car and goes home they say next i mean that's not i mean that's I guess some coaches are going to be done. They deserve to be. I, I don't know how you pick the rationale, but back to Mike Babcock in Toronto, he was, he was controlling the ice time and allotting ice time by minutes, analytics, on what he based the guy could handle. It didn't matter if uh, Austin, Manus, Austin Matthews was lighting it up that night or not. He was only going to play so many minutes, and they didn't have success.
0: It's an interesting one. Um, Again, the quote, it just shows that the greatest player in the game has a lot bigger impact than the greatest coach in the game. What do you think? Is that true? I I disagree. But what do you think?
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don, I I love this um, story that I read today that says the Toronto Raptors, the, the NBA draft is coming up soon. And the Toronto Raptors front office has said they're thrilled they're really excited about the things they're going to get the player they're going to get the opportunities they have when they draft 28th overall they're they're really really excited about this why is it that every single draft pick no matter when they're taken when who they are there are two sure things that you're going to get from a draft one is that the guy you take no matter how far down is a guy we had in the top five for sure. We just can't believe he fell to us in the draft. And two, that you can't just possibly say, you know what, this is going to be just a complete dart at the dartboard with a blindfold on because, hey, taking 28th, you know, you're not getting a superstar. Where, where is Why is it impossible for teams to offer honesty around the draft? I have no
3: idea, and I think it's disingenuous. I think they should say, look at the, our needs uh, that we'd like to pick are likely going to be mostly gone, so we're going to pick the best athlete, we're going to pick the best player that's left, and we hope he can become an NBA player. And that's the truth. He's not going to be an NBA star in all probability. But you're right. It's absolutely guaranteed. Well, we picked him 137th. We, we, <laughs> we had him in the top 12. As a matter of fact, we didn't even pick him twice before we had two picks before that and missed it maybe that's what happened to them so we grabbed them with our third pick and 127. we're ecstatic i mean you're right just say it's going to be a thin draft and we're not looking to add anybody we're looking to add some depth we're going to grab a guy that has got some potential we're going to let him play in the 905 league and hopefully he turns into something because you can't send him back to college i mean it's an interesting draft right you got to send him to the 905 team or whatever the D-league D is. But you, you can't really sell to an educated Raptors fan that a difference maker is coming at 28. And they try. They all try, and it's silly.
0: Well, you know, people always point to, for example, to your point, the Detroit Red, uh, Detroit Red Wings and say, man, what a that team, they found studs late in the draft. Henrik Zetterberg was a seventh round draft pick. They, they, If the Detroit Red Wings knew what Henrik Zetterberg was going to become, they would not have drafted Yari Tulsa, Andre Maximenko, and Kent McDonnell ahead of him in the rounds that they had before him. They would have gone, wow, Henrik Zetterberg is still there? Got to grab that guy way before someone else thinks to get him. But no, Pavel Datsuk. You know who was drafted by the Red Wings ahead of Pavel Datsuk? Yuri Fischer, who was... Pretty good, except he was the guy, I think, who had the heart problem, right? Who who had a heart attack yeah. on the bench. So he would have been a good player, no question. Ryan Barnes, Pomek Valtanen, Jake McCracken, Brent Hobday, Carl Steen, and Adam DeLue. Yeah, you tell me that the Red Wings were brilliant because they threw a possum pick on everyone by not taking him to Lake to throw the scent off, other teams' sent off? Come on. It's luck. But those are... Those are not ones when you can say, Oh, we thought he was in the top five, as you say. Because if he if you truly thought he was a top five pick, you don't wait till you're pick number one hundred and seventy one in the draft.
3: Now in defense of the Detroit Red Wings, Adam DeLue was an Allen Cup champion with the Dundas real McCoys in two thousand and fourteen. So he wasn't that bad a pick.
0: No, but he had zero NHL games. So he could be a good hockey player, well, but you. it didn't <laughs> but it didn't exactly work out for an NHL team. So. Um,
3: just trying to give, just trying to give him some props. You're right. That's my point. When you when you hit that diamond in the rough, why didn't you pick him three picks before if you knew he was that good? But you're right. They, they, they try and sell the fact that their first round draft pick is going to be great. And the Leafs and the Leafs have this mastered. The Leafs used to not have first round draft picks on a regular basis and get really excited about the guy that was picked. Forty-third, and he'd be on the front <laughs> page of all the Toronto newspapers. And he's the Toronto Maple Leafs' first pick. Now he's got seven more years of junior, and we're going to wait for him. But he's going to be the savior soon. Leafs well, out down pat.
0: Yeah, no, and and, and they have
3: first-round a- picks
0: but they have a captive audience that wants to believe it too. That's the thing. You've got it. You've got an audience that I don't think they're suckers, but I think they're desperate to believe that something good is going to happen. And so sure we can buy into the fact that this guy is going to be fantastic, but you know, the, uh, to me, if you're the Raptors now, y- you've got credibility. You've got the, you, you've won a championship and you've had an amazing team last year, despite difficult circumstances. And, I think you can possibly say, you know what, 28th is one of those spots where we don't know if we're going to be able to find someone, but boy, we're going to hope and we're going to get someone that we, as you say, that we really hope can somehow turn into something. But to do anything other than that, to me, just puts even more pressure on a guy who, as you mentioned, is probably not going to play. Why not say, this guy, we think he's got some raw talent here. We're going to send him to the D-League, whoever we get, because we're not going to get a superstar and we believe our coaching staff may be able to turn him into something. But the idea that we're we're just we're thrilled we're over the moon with the guys we're going to get at number twenty eight. Yeah, yeah, come on. No.
3: Nobody should but, buy it, but they sell it. They cry, they sell
0: it. They sell it, and and some people do buy into it. And and you know, the NFL you can do it because there's so many players, there's so many NFL teams. And there's so many players on a roster and not everybody is drafting from the same position. So many, even if you have a late first round pick, that's the one league or this, even the, well, not the CFL. It's a different story. In the NFL, you can sell that and say, yeah, we got the best offensive guard and this guy is going to be great. Okay. I, you know, I can believe that. Um, but And you know what? The,
3: the NFL might be one of the very few leagues that long shots can make it because those kids are so big and strong. And I don't think they're done developing and turning into pros. The basketball guys are a lot closer to being ready to play in the NBA for the most part than late draft picks in the NFL. I I think there's a better chance in the NFL you can get a late bloomer and keep him around your roster and your taxi squad and see if he turns into something. Basketball is a little more of a direct path, I think. Hockey, it's... well. You know, the top, the top 20 are likely going right to their, right to their NHL team. The top 20. Because you think it's that high? Well, I think, I think Scott, once you get past the top five teams, they all need help. So the opportunities are better. That's one thing the Red Wings used to be able to do. I mean, they could take their, their number one pick and put them in Adirondack or put them in the American League and, and, um, uh, Grand Rapids because they didn't need them right away and they could give them time to get better. But you watch this year when when the Red Wings aren't that aren't that good right now. You watch that first round pick; he'll be he'll be playing in National Hockey. I think I'll I'll guarantee it. So it just depends on how good you are.
0: Yeah, well, you know,
3: Matthews Mc, Matthews McDavid; those guys are exceptional athletes, so they don't really count. But uh, I would say the the top twenty have the best chance unless unless one of the number one teams has one of the first five picks.
0: I would just love for a GM to be truly honest one time and say, we got to our pick and we didn't even know anybody on the board. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we, we were just, at this point, it was like, who has the coolest name? You know, who, who went to a school that we recognized? And I, I mean, look, I, I'm being facetious because of course they know everybody who's up there, but it would be great if, if they said, Truly we believe this guy is a bit of a long shot, but we believe he has some athleticism and we can turn him into a great player rather than as I say the this guy. Honestly, uh other than Wayne Gretzky, he may be the greatest hockey player that's ever lived and we fully expect that kind of performance. And then he shows up for training camp and ends up in the ECHL if it's hockey and you never hear from the guy again. It just, you no. know, it's 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 a little but stupid. In defense,
3: there's a better chance you're gonna get that than when they go to the Raptors, and they're going to go, you know what? We got 28. Anybody got any ideas? Because we all know there's nothing left. They're all going to make the guys sound a lot better than, oh, boy. Uh, Bradley, grab that piece of paper. Who was that kid's name when all the good guys were gone?
0: Let's take But it. there's – we're going to go to a break. But the other thing about this, though, is that uh, you look at a guy like with the Raptors and Masai Ujiri – has the kind of credibility, a lot of GMs you would never say anything other than this is a great pick because they're worried about their job. They don't want to say, yeah, long shot. You want to be able to try and sell because you want to protect your job. I think Masai Ujiri is one of those guys that has the kind of credibility and job guarantee for all intents and purposes that he could be totally honest and say something more plausible, but you know, it's, it's, it seems it's built into the DNA that you can't do that. So we'll see. Uh, we'll right. see if there's some honesty Missouri that emerges. Mike. You know, nice. and the funny part is all the commentators, you, you watch the commentators on TV. Now, they're not necessarily always right, but at least they call it sometimes and go, yeah, that's way off the board. Not sure I like that one. At least once in a while, you get some of the commentators to say, that's a goofy pick. Don't know what that's all about, but... Well, you you and I both know there was one and his
3: name escaped me, it won't you. The kid from Dundas that got picked out of the high school by Calgary in the
0: first round. Mark Jankowski, who has turned in there to be an go. NHL player, No, he's, and he's become an NHL player, yeah. maybe not the star that a lot of people or that Calgary hoped he would become, but he's become a solid third-line NHL player. He's had a career for himself. He'll play again in the NHL. Oh, um, oh, of course, but he was off the board. He was way off the board. I, I You know, it was... Um, uh, a guy, a Hamilton guy, this is one of my favorite stories ever, a guy named Drew Schistel, who was a Hamilton guy, went to St. Thomas More High School, and was drafted so early that his dad, who had been, they were at the draft, and his dad had been really nervous all morning, waiting for his son to be called, knowing he's not going to go till the second, maybe third round, and his dad had consumed about eight cups of coffee and had to go have a wee. And was in the bathroom. Came back from the bathroom and looked for his family, and they were gone. And then looked down, and there he was, down by the team table. Had been drafted <laughs> while he was in the bathroom, off the off the board. Mark Visentin went in the first round, watered down guy, and was not supposed yeah. to go that early. So it does happen, but mm, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if it we get some honesty or. Either. Well, you know what? All those guys had careers, and there's yeah. other guys. You know, again, you talk about who are way off the board and turn into to be spectacular, but we'll see.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Don, you are familiar with former Hamilton bulldog, former Edmonton oiler, former Montreal Canadian, George Larocque, one of the tough guys of the NHL of his era. I mean, one of the great fighters in the league when fighting still seemed to be a significant part of hockey. Uh, George Laroque has tweeted out or told, I guess, a Montreal radio station one way or another. He has made it clear that he seems to have an interest in fighting Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson making a comeback at age 54. Laroque is now 43, much bigger than Mike Tyson. Um, am I wrong or even if you did well fighting in the NHL, getting into the ring with Mike Tyson, you would be killed if you're not a boxer.
3: George LaRock's head would look like somebody jammed it in a blender when Mike Tyson was done with it. Now, if you were going to fight him on the street, George LaRock would not be somebody I'd be interested in dangling with. But your analogy, that if you're not a professional boxer, you're going to get dinged a few times before. I mean, unless LaRock's taken out boxing and is a boxer, but if his experience is only fighting on the ice, then... You know, you can't put a professional boxer against a tough guy. I don't think it works. You can't even grab if, and throw him down. You got to stand there and yeah. box. And there's technique and everything else. I think, I think Tyson would, would, like Laroque could be going for the hay, haymaker, right? And what are the odds of that happening?
0: Even if it was, even if Laroque has taken up boxing, I'm not convinced that. I mean, there's a reason why the guys who made all the money in boxing and were the superstars were the superstars. And it's the same thing, Don. I mean, look, I, I can sing great in my shower and think I've got great tone, but I go on to, you know, America's Got Talent or something. And quickly it's exposed that, you know what, I'm really not that good. And you can do that with anything. There's a reason Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson. And maybe if you want to have it where they have to wear hockey sweaters so you can pull it over his head and hold on to him somehow, but the idea that you're going to get into a ring and box with this guy, I just, you know, it it always amazes me how, how so many people who are not just athletes, but athletes think they can be other athletes or think they can play pro golf, which they never can, or... You know, actors think they can be singers. Singers think they can be actors. It, there's a reason you're really good at the thing you're good at, and it doesn't necessarily cross over. I mean, you're going to be great at everything.
3: No, why, well, uh, uh, George Rock was a heavyweight in the National Hockey League, and fighting is a, an art. Fighting on skates is totally something different. But to think you can transform from the ice, in against a former world heavyweight who would who still has tremendous skills. I mean he's getting to be an older guy now, but boy, I just can't see it ending well. I I mean I think I think Tyson would toy with him, quite frankly. And I wouldn't want to see it.
0: We saw uh, Ray um Whitaker versus uh uh what's his name? Um MMA, UFC guy versus um jeez. Yes. Oh, and you know what? That was Oh, the box yeah. There was a boxer against a guy who was a fighter, but not really a boxer, and it wasn't much of a fight. Um, and you're, you know, I, I don't think George Larocque, who has been in a lot of fights in hockey, has never faced anybody who hits half as hard as Tyson does. And the first time that punch lands, I'm not sure that LaRock is on, oop, night-night. Because, yeah. you know, in, in hockey fights, you're getting these short little, usually, short little you know, jabs almost or crosses, but not, not from a distance, not a guy stepping into it. And I just, I look at this and I just go, man, if you, if you really believe that you could fight with my, now maybe it's just a money thing. Maybe it's just like, you know, cause Don, honestly, if you told me right now, Scott Radley, that I will pay you $2 million to go into the ring and, and fight Mike Tyson, I'll do it. Sure, I'll do it. I'll go in there, I'll take one shot, and I'll go down like a bag of hammers, and I'll take my $2 million and go home. So if it's just a money thing, sure, why not? But I don't think that you could possibly think you're going to compete with this guy.
3: I'm not thinking you'd be running on all your cylinders the next day either.
0: I would take it in the ribs. I would have my hands up to block my head and let him give me a body shot and go down and just hope he doesn't bust a rib. wouldn't.
3: no, he would wind up, and you'd go down before he even landed.
0: Well, that that could It'd be, be one too. Of those
3: phantoms,
0: the wind might get me.
3: it's <laughs> like what happened to him? I didn't even get to him.
0: Yeah, no, I would do um, right.
3: it. would be. I I can't see it ending well for for anybody. Not just George the Rock. I mean, if he's the one that says he wants to fight him, that's where the conversation is. But it just, I mean, it's not commonly done, and it's probably not commonly done because it's not. It's not the sharpest thing to do you're right unless unless it's an exhibition and it's a money grab then you know billy jean king and or uh billy jean king yeah and uh oh big daddy uh, bobby uh, riggs
0: bobby riggs i you know i will say this and and i've never boxed and um but i have been in the in the ring one time and i held the pads held the gloves uh for a women's i think she was lightweight world champion and Don, like I'm sitting there going, oh, this is, you know, me being not really knowing because she was not a very big person. And the first time she hit the pads and knocked my hand, I almost put my shoulder because I wasn't holding very firmly. It was like, yeah, almost popped my shoulder out because of how hard she hit. And that was a women's lightweight. Now, she was a world champion. But nonetheless, she's about half the size of Mike Tyson, and he's a guy, and they have physiological differences, and he is known as the hardest puncher of his era. It's it's you're talking about something that I don't think that George Laroque or anyone else who's not been in the ring with a guy like him has any concept of how hard he hits. That's the issue, and how fast. And yeah, now no. I don't I don't know if he still got any of the speed because that was the other thing. He hit incredibly hard, but he also had incredible speed. But boy, oh boy, you know this this kind of stuff. Like I, I hear this, it's like ah oh, ha ha ha. George Larocque. I'm not even sure that I find it fun. The idea, because why would I want to watch a guy just who is not a boxer go in and get himself pounded by a guy who is? It it'd be it would be no more interesting than me watching watching Mike Tyson suit up and play wing for a game in the NHL, which Larocque can do, but Tyson can't. Just because you can't be a professional fighter doesn't mean you're not a great athlete. You're a different athlete.
1: Yes,
3: and, and, and they're all probably better than every average guy, no matter what of discipline they want to do, because they have talent, right? So,
0: and we got to go to a break, but there was a TV show that used to be on called I think it was what was it? Average Joe? No, it was um Average Joe or something, and you could you would have average athletes like Weekend Warriors who would go in and do something against a former pro-athlete. So you would go in and and pitch against a former, take batting practice against a former pitcher or whatever. And invariably, they lost and lost horribly, and these were guys way past their prime. There's just... If you're a pro-athlete in your sport, there is a reason you're a pro-athlete in your sport. And if you're one of the best, there is a reason why that was the case. Anyway, I hope for LaRock's sake that he either doesn't need money this badly or he's just looking for a little attention because...